Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Good afternoon. You guys enjoyed the kids' uh, presentation? <laughs> it was, we were cracking up during, they were rehearsing even this morning. It was like, they were so excited to be in front of you guys, so love it. Um, this morning, or this afternoon, we're going to be speaking out of Revelation 3 and Matthew 25. Uh, Revelation 3 and Matthew 25, the portions that we're, we're looking at is the Revelation 3, the Laodicean church. And we're going to read through that passage together. And, and Matthew 25, we're going you know, to look at 24 and 25, but we're going to mostly focus in on Matthew 25, specifically on the, the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish. And many of us have probably read these passages. We've probably heard, heard about them. We've probably heard messages taught. And probably the most common angle has been, obviously, you know, Revelation 3, a lukewarm church. It's a rebuke that's coming. It's a correction that's coming. Matthew 25, five foolish, five wise. Um, you know, it's a fear of the Lord type of, of reality of you don't want to be foolish. You want to be wise. You don't want to be lukewarm. You want to be burning. But the angle that I want us to approach, or really the lens that I want us to look at the verses today is that of a father, that of a bridegroom whose heart's desire is for us. Because I think when we read them, I, there should be this fear of the Lord. There, sh, there is this reality that there is a rebuke, there is a correction. But in the midst of the rebuke, in the midst of the correction, there is mercy. In Revelation 3, we'll read it. You know, he gives them the rebuke, but then he says, Now here's my counsel. Here's the way of escape. Here's the way of rescue. Matthew 25, there is this reality. Yes, even today, some will be wise and some will be foolish, but here's the way to be wise. And I think sometimes we read it, and it's right, there is an urgency in the reading of these portions because we do know that we live in a day where we want and are praying for the return of the Lord. But I do think we approach these passages in such a way and have heard it taught in such a way where it's like you're running out of time, which there is some truth to that. But I think there is a greater reality that right now we still have time because today is not the last day. And so when we read these, and the, the title of today's sermon is The Oil of Intimacy. And I believe there's an invitation for us as believers, as Christians, to enter into intimacy with our God and with our Savior. To enter into a type of relationship that gets revealed as Revelation 3 and as Matthew 25 unfolds itself. And so keep that in your mind as we're going through. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to rescue us as a church from a spirit of dullness by dining with us, and giving us gold, which I believe represents a lot of things, but also glory. And by giving us oil, which again represents a lot, but I also think represents his presence. 
And I think there is a way to buy gold and there's a way to buy oil unto experiencing a dining with the Lord, all right? Uh, And like I said, in the midst of correction, there is a word of hope because he's giving them the way of hope. He's giving them counsel. And so with that, let's, let's pray together and let's go into the word. So Father, we, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for this opportunity to go into your word, to go through the scriptures, to gain understanding, but Lord, to experience you. Lord, we thank you that we serve a God who is not afar off, who's not distant, but who is very near to his people. We thank you that we serve a God who is very real, who still speaks today. We thank you that we serve a God who inclines his ear and turns his ear to us as we pray, that we, we don't pray as those to a God who's deaf, but to a God who hears and responds to those who cry out to him day and night. And Lord, we ask that as we read your word, that you would be with us and that you would give us understanding in Jesus' name. So if you could turn with me to Revelation 3, we're gonna start in verse 15. All right, okay, it's up there. All right, I'm gonna read through the whole passage and then we'll, we'll go through and we'll go verse by verse. Verse 15, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot and I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing and you say, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you then to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye self that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and dine with him and he with me and I just want to go, go through, you know, he opens up 15, 16, and, and he's letting them know, hey, you're lukewarm. And why is that happening? A couple of reasons. One, you don't, you don't always realize that you're lukewarm. You don't always know that you're lukewarm. It's actually his mercy as he approaches the church in Laodicea to say, hey, you guys, you're, you're lukewarm. You think that you're alive. You think that you're burning, but you're actually not. And it's his mercy to tell him that because he could just leave them alone. And then we see the result right? The vomiting out of the mouth, which is a beautiful picture, right? (laughs) But it's his mercy to say, hey, I'm putting my finger on this part of your heart, on this part of your life, and there is a call to adjust. So we see mercy being extended to people who may be unaware of of the status of their heart. And I also believe he's telling them they're lukewarm because they have become, and for us today, we have become content with so little when there is so much at his table that he wants us to know. And I believe that he wants to reveal that because there is more for us. And by doing that, again, it's, it's this loving father that says, you're lukewarm in this area. There's room for you at, at my table. There's more for you. And he wants to impart a hunger and a thirst in us again for the things of God so that we would realize, oh, there is more for me at his table. And he goes in 18, 19, counsel, I counsel you then. I give you the way of escape. I give you the way, the answer. 
Come to me and buy from me gold refined by the fire. And in verse 19, be zealous and repent. And I believe this process that he's, he's calling him to, it's not a one-time deal. It's not a one-time response to an altar call. It's not a one-time trip to a, you know, a weekend retreat. It's not a uh, entering into just a one-time 21-day fast. It's not a entering into even to a year, just come away with me for a year and be on sabbatical for a year and just be with me for a year. No, this invitation is for a lifestyle because he's approaching a people that have already done the one-time deal, have already done the fast deal. They were hot, and now they're lukewarm. You don't go from cold to lukewarm. You go from cold to hot. The only people that go to lukewarm are those who were once hot, and now their fire has begun to dim. If you're cold, you've never had a fire. If you're cold, you, you can actually get lukewarm. But he's addressing a people whose hearts were on fire, whose hearts, and what is the picture of fire? It's, it's this passion of love for Jesus. It's this passion of love for him and his ways. And for whatever reason, X, Y, and Z, it's begun to grow cold and lukewarm. And in verse 20, he says, I stand at the door and knock. And I believe he's saying to us today, as he said to the church in Laodicea, I'm standing at the door of your heart today and I'm knocking. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him. And listen, when we're talking about buying gold, right? It's, it's not in the same, you know, we think buy, we connect it to money. And it's not the same reality of us spending money on something. He's talking about the pursuit of our heart towards him that costs us something. That's timely. Timely meaning like takes time. He's talking about a way in which we position ourselves in ongoing conversation with God. And part of what I want you to go away with is this reality of buying from him gold or pursuing the Lord. It's, it's not this like dramatic thing where you're screaming on the top of your lungs or you're constantly crying or you're constantly doing something that's like exerting a ton of energy. It might look like that. But really the simplicity of it is ongoing engagement in conversation with the Lord. And I like to think of it this way. I'm married. I'm going to be married 10 years coming up in September, which is amazing. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, I'll keep that. <laughs> Tammy said something funny. And I'll let it stay there. Um, so, if I got married, and you could be 10 years in, you could be 40 years in, you could be newlywed, but pretend you're married for this moment. All the single people are getting excited. All right. Um, or nervous, one of the two. Um, if I got married, and when we did get married, we went on a honeymoon, right? We began our journey of intimacy, intimacy together by taking, you know, a two-week, one-week period. We're alone. We're doing life together, husband and wife, for the first time. But imagine if I lived my life in such a way, or I approached my marriage in such a way where I, I went on the honeymoon, but then I came home, and I would wait maybe a month or two until I hang out with her. And maybe it's just, you know, once a month or, you know, one time at the altar call or like, you know, a week out of every month or maybe, you know, a weekend, a couple weekends a year, then we'll, we'll grow in intimacy. Then we'll get to know each other. Or maybe we take, you know, our first year, we have a honeymoon year, but then we just go on and we just casually approach our relationship to one another. How many of you know that relationship, that marriage would not last and would not thrive very long? 
Because if my pursuit of my wife is hot in the beginning, but then just grows lukewarm, then I have a relationship, I have a covenant that doesn't have passion, it doesn't have intimacy, it doesn't have this depth of first love like when we first got married. And in the same way, Jesus wants to approach us as a bridegroom. And he is defining us as his bride. And we know that the scripture says that in the last day that we are all being invited as Christians, we're being invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. We're being invited to a a wedding feast to go and be with our bridegroom. And I just wanna say this because sometimes we can, you know, get into this other reality. Like when we talk about bridegroom, Jesus is our bridegroom, we're his bride. We're not talking about dating Jesus, okay? It's not like this, oh, Jesus is gonna, like this romantic relationship. That's, that's not, you know, we'll leave that in marriage, right? This is more of the intimacy, the heart connection, this reality of I see me and he, I see him and he sees me. I think it's uh, Danny Silk who, who will say, you know, intimacy. One of the best definitions is into me you see. And it's this invitation to have a relationship with God where we know that he sees us, but we get to see him. And he invites us into the depths of his heart. And he invites us into the places where he is. And so back to buying gold, right? Sometimes when we approach buying gold, we may think that we're earning this gold. We may think, okay, well, Rich is saying go and do these things, so then I'm going to go and do it so that I can get it. And, and that's not exactly the case either. We are going to approach him in such a way where we are responding. We're opening the door of our heart. We're allowing him to come in. But this thing of receiving gold, we'll read in Matthew 25, of, of getting oil, this purchasing of gold, this buying of oil, this, this is not something we're paying money for, and this is not something that we're earning. It is something we receive as a gift in his response to our pursuit of intimacy with him. It's something that we have to position ourselves to receive. So in buying gold, we don't earn it. We invest ourselves in a costly way to position ourselves to receive it. And if you want a a picture of this, of, you know, where do we see in the Bible how to buy it? You know, let's look at one of the first times, Isaiah. Isaiah 55, you can turn with me there, verses one to three. Isaiah is one of the first ones to show us what it means to buy things from God. And we'll read this together. Isaiah 55, verse 1 to 3. Ho. Everyone say ho. Ho. It's in there. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. For why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And this is a beautiful picture that Isaiah is painting us to, you know, he's approaching those who are thirsty, right? Those who have a longing for the Lord. And he's saying, okay, come and buy wine and milk without money. How? And he lays it out for us. We just read it. He says, how do you buy wine and milk without price? One by inclining your ear, listening carefully to me. By inclining our ear, by simply taking time, setting time apart to maybe be in the scripture, 
Maybe it's the setting the time apart in the secret place. Maybe it's the tarrying in the corporate place. But it looks like time set apart to incline our ear to come sit at the table with him. And it says that when we do that, when we incline our ear, then we begin to feast or delight in the abundance. When we incline our ear, we begin to, he opens up our ear to hear. His voice saying, come to me. When we buy things from God by entering that God-ordained process of having conversation with him, listening to his voice and direction, and, and responding in simple obedience, we then see God respond to us by saying, if you do this, I will come dine with you. You see, this, this life, all prayer, all worship, this life is an exchange. This life is a constant exchange. And sometimes we, we don't realize that what we're doing is exchanging things with God. We give him our time. We come and we sit before him. We incline our ear and he gives us gold. And this gold we're talking about, this gold doesn't, you know, it's, it's not bars. You know, we're right over here by the Federal Exchange, right? We're not getting bars of gold. You get what I'm saying? This, this gold, it, it's his glory. It's his name. It's him. This oil in Matthew 25, which we're going to read, it's his presence. It's the light in the lamp of our heart. This is what we're receiving from him. This is what we get in this God-ordained process. And the Lord's responding to us. He's saying, I will draw closer to you as you draw close to me, and I will give you more than you can ever imagine. But the beauty of this, and I think the reality of, of the situation is he's not gonna force this on you. He's not gonna force you to have this pursuit because he's looking for those who in their free will choose to love him. Because if he forced it on us, then he would have servants. If he forced it on us, then he would have slaves. But when he invites us to it and we respond, then we come in as sons and daughters. John 13 to 16 or to 17, we're not going to read it. We'll just make mention of it. John 13, right in the beginning, uh, it doesn't actually give us the account of the Last Supper, but it does say, and then when they arose from supper or as the supper was finishing. And so we see that John 13 and 14 picks up at the scene of the Last Supper, at a scene where he is dining with his disciples. And then he goes on to John 14, 15, 16, 17, and we see this dialogue with Jesus and his father. And he's beginning to pray for himself and the Lord and the father. He's beginning to pray for his disciples he prays for the believers. He prays for the world, for the unbelievers. And we see this four or five chapters of this beautiful prayer, this invitation to impartation that he's asking the Father to pour out on the believer, to pour out on the church, to pour out on the world. And I want to highlight a few of those things. But I want, I want us to remember this is coming off of a scene of dining with the Lord. Meaning, we spiritually eat the food of the truths and the promises that Jesus highlights in John 14 to 17. So when he's coming, even before the Last Supper, you gotta eat my flesh, you gotta drink my blood. Those are hard sayings. Those are uh, sayings that they struggled with. But the simplicity of it is, we're eating of his truth. We're consuming his truth. We're consuming, 
of the realities of what he then begins to pray. We are receiving of the desire of his heart. You with me? Okay. And we're going to come we're going to come back to John 15 in a moment. I also want to point out a progression. Revelation 3 leads to Revelation 4. Did you know this? At the end of Revelation 3 in verse 20, we have this what we just read before. He stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. But just a few verses later we see in Revelation 4 that he looks up and the heavens are open, the door of heaven is open over him. And a voice cries out saying, come up here, I will show you things. And it's this reality, this progression of thought that if you open the door to your heart, he says, I will open the door of heaven. I will open the door of glory over you. I will open your ears to hear my voice and I will invite you to come up here so I can show you. And so, you know, Maybe you're like me. My natural question is, well, then how do I open the door of my heart? What does that look like? How do I open the door? How do I buy gold? How do I really feast at the table of the Lord? And again, as I said in the beginning, a simple, practical approach is simple conversation and engagement with the Lord. It's, it's not this like dramatic thing. It's not this thing where we have to put all our effort. You want to open the door of your heart? It's just Stopping what you're doing and talking to God. You want to open up your ears? It's stopping what you're doing and taking time to listen. You want to buy gold? It's spending time gives you gold. Buy gold? It's spending time gives you gold. Deposits gold. You want oil? It's giving time. Maybe you're single. You're not married. You have no kids. You can spend, maybe you could spend hours Spend, spend the hours while you can. Maybe you're married, you don't have kids. Maybe you can spend just a couple hours. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you can spend some minutes. Parents understand what I'm talking about. But it, it looks different for all of us, but it always looks like time. It looks like time and simple obedience and simple conversation. And why do I say simple? Because it's not something so mysterious that we can't grasp and understand. You know, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy uh, I didn't grab the you know, chapter and verse, but in Deuteronomy, Moses is approaching the Israelites and he's telling them, listen, the mysteries of God, they are not too mysterious for you to understand. Not only are they not too mysterious, they are not too far. They're actually near. They're actually as near as the very words in your mouth. He's, he's approaching them saying, yes, God is big. God is vast. There is depth. There is mystery. There is length. There is height. There is width to his love. But he does give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can understand. I put it this way. God is so deep and so high and so wide that it will take all eternity for us to continue to explore the depths of his love for us. But he is also so simple that a, a child can approach him and gain understanding to his love. And I say that to you in case you're sitting in the chair saying like, well, I, I don't know if I can figure that out. No, he is going and has already given you the grace Amen. to approach him. 
That grace looked like his blood that was shed on the cross. Ephesians says, we who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It is the sacrifice that he made in the blood that was shed on the cross, his broken body for us, not just so that we could have access, believe in him and have access to eternal life, but so that in this life, we can approach him and come near. We're not gonna go through all of the the chapters in John, but I wanna highlight this one verse, John 15, verse nine. It says, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. As the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus is revealing two truths here. He's revealing two truths and then a, a, a command. What's the two truths? One, the father loves me. This is important because of the truth that's about to be revealed. He says, you need to know the Father loves me. The Father has a passionate, burning pursuit to me. He loves me fully. He loves me unconditionally. And the same love which the Father loves me, I love you with that same love. The same love in which the Father has given to the Son and continues to give to the Son, Jesus in turn looks at you and says, I love you with the same passion, the same pursuit, the same unconditional realities. I love you fully in the same way that the Father loves me. I love you. Blows our mind. And he says, and now this is how you respond to that love. Abide in it. Engage with it. Dwell in it. Live in my love. If you abide in my love, if you build a resting place for me in my love, if you build a dwelling place for me in my love, I will come and dwell with you. I will abide with you. If you come and abide with me, I will abide with you. Where do we see the picture that that can happen? Because Jesus did not do anything or say anything unless he saw or heard the Father doing it. He built a dwelling place for his Father in his earthly reality so that we could learn how to build a dwelling place for him in our earthly reality, in our earthly time, so that in this lifetime, we could walk and dwell with God. Pointing us to a picture That in that day, we will be returning to the realities of the Garden of Eden, walking in the cool of the day with him, but also pointing to the reality that in this lifetime, we could experience, like Adam, walking in the cool of the day with God. Why? Because he shed his blood so that we could have access. And he tells us, when you respond to that love, respond in the action of abiding. So when I say things like we don't, We're not gonna earn it. We're not buying it with money. It's not in our effort. It's because the picture of receiving the love, receiving the oil, receiving the wine is abiding its time. When he's approaching the lukewarm church, I would imagine he's approaching a church who once was on fire for God and then they've stopped putting value of time spent with him. And the less they spend with him, the more their heart grew cold. It's not the great achievements. It's not the great things that you will do for God, though you will do great things. You will do greater works than the things that he did. It's not the great speeches that you will give. It's not the great sermons that you'll pray. I mean, preachers preach great sermons, but my, my hope and my prayer is that they would put as much preparation, they would put more preparation in their heart than they do in preparing their sermons. 
My prayer for us is we would do more preparation of the status of our heart than we would prepare for the things that we do in our life. Because I promise you, I speak to the evangelist, if, if, don't spend so much time on the strategy and the outreach and then you spend less time on him. If you give him more of your time, I promise you the oil that comes with that time will bring greater breakthrough on the reality of your outreach to the lost than had you spent the hours strategizing. The wisdom of this world is not the wisdom of God. The wisdom of this world says spend decades in preparation to do the thing. The wisdom in the kingdom is spend decades in preparation of your heart to live for eternity. And I will add to the things of this world as you prepare for eternity. The world will tell you you're wasting your life by sitting in this room. But the reality is everyone on the earth is going to waste their life on something. But the thing that we know is by wasting our time in this room, we are buying through our time oil that will light the lamp that will take us in the hour when he comes. That's the Matthew 25. See, we, we need oil now. The ones who need oil the most are probably the ones who think they don't need it. The ones who need oil the most are probably the ones who think they have enough. The five foolish thought they had enough oil. But the wise knew they needed more than enough than what was in their lamps. They brought extra oil and whatever it was, probably a leather bag or whatever it was. Not Gucci. <laughs> you know, sometimes we're in moments because I'm, I'm just trying to give you practical things to hold on to here. I'm trying to give you handlebars for your bike, okay? I think like we have moments in worship, moments where the presence of the Lord comes. And as leaders, as, as uh, pastors, as leaders, sometimes we feel the pressure of like, well, we, we got to keep the service moving along, right? Sometimes there is this reality of like, well, yeah, the, the, there, it's a sweet moment, but we, we want to get to the offering and we want to get to the sermon. And, you know, maybe we just need to have, we got to get to the sermon. We got we to do, and there's this like pressure to rush because we got to get to do something, right? But sometimes there's moments where the Lord just says, just wait. Don't be in a rush. Take a moment to just pause. Have Selah moments. Uh, uh, Pastor Bill, I think he brought it up just in the first service. He might have said the second too. But Moses, when he approached the bush, it was not uncommon to have a burning bush in the desert. When you read that, that passage, it's not like that was the first time he ever saw a bush burning in the desert. He'd probably seen dozens. But there was something different the, about this bush where he knew enough to pause and turn. What would it look like where we adjust our life in such a way where we are looking for the presence in the burning bush, where we're looking for the presence in the everyday ordinary things that are very common and not un always unusual. It's easy for us, for God to get our attention in the unusual moments. But what does it look like to be a people who God can get your attention in the normal, mundane, usual things that happen in your life? We need oil. We need a lot of it. We can feel rushed at times, but oil takes time. Producing oil takes time. Producing wine takes time. We need oil. We need gold. And there's a call to us even today to go and buy gold. And like I said, it's not real gold. It's the spiritual gold that money cannot buy. It's the Isaiah 55. 
as we just read, we don't spend money on so-called riches that do not last in the age to come. We buy gold, we store oil. Why don't you guys turn with me to Matthew 25. We don't have time to read all of Matthew 24, so I'm just going to give you the rich notes version. Okay? Matthew 24. We see a lot going on. Matthew 24 and 25 are connected. Matthew 25 comes after Matthew 24. In chapter 24, Jesus is talking about the coming of the Son of Man. He talks about deception, famine, rumors of war, earthquakes, offense, betrayal of one another, lawlessness, how it will abound, great tribulation, and again, the coming of the Son of Man. We see in chapter 24, verse 29, a shift begins to take place. and He starts, again, talking about the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 36, it says, No one knows the hour, but we do know the season. And by the time we get to verse 45, he's starting to talk about the faithful servant and the evil servant. And the faithful is the one who is found waiting. And I say all that to say this. Those who are in love with the bridegroom, those are the ones who are found waiting. There is a reminder today that we exist for relationship with the bridegroom and that we know life on this earth is not right until he comes. And we want to be those who are found waiting. Is he coming back today? Probably not, right? There's a lot of things that, we're not gonna go into eschatology lesson and end times lesson today. There's a lot of things that still need to take place. However, even though I know he's not going to come today, there is still a positioning of my heart where I am mourning and yearning for the return of the Lord. So let's read Matthew 25. We're gonna go verse, I think, one to 12, but we'll break it up. Verse one to two. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Now remember, Jesus is continuing to, to preach the same sermon, the same teaching that we just came off of Matthew 24. So this is a continuation. Verse one is a continuation. And he's saying in that season, what season? The end time season, where the kingdom of heaven shall be likened, or in other words, that there will be an emphasis like this in the days ahead. So he's emphasizing something on the days ahead. And the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to this. What is he emphasizing? What's it being likened to? These 10 virgins, Right? Five of these versions were wise and five of them were foolish. A couple things to pay attention to. These versions come from the same group. They come from the same church. They come from the same community. They come from the same family. It's not like you got five versions from the east and five versions from the west. We got 10 versions that come out of the same realities, yet they come five wise and five foolish from the same upbringing. And that's a sobering reality to us to pay attention to our hearts. Because in, in that day, some will be wise, but some will be foolish. That's the sobering reality. That's, that's the fear of the Lord message that we heard, and we're not going to go too much into that. Because I actually think there is this approach of the father, approach of a, of a bridegroom in this passage. Think of it the same way. The tarries and the wheat, they grew in the same soil, right? But it took the coming of the Lord to make a delineation in the sand of what was wheat and what was tarry. And I want to pay attention to my heart because I don't want to be in that day where this, the line in the sand is drawn and I'm on the wrong side of the line. That's, that's the call. That's the fear. That's the fire 
under our rear end, right? That's like, do you know what? This is real. This is true. This is our reality. We, we do the church and we do the community and we like the, the meals and we like the fun and we're going to keep doing all that. But we are leading to a day where we will stand before God and we will be on one side of the line or the other side of the line. He's the judge. He's the one that makes the choice. But we, in this day, we have time. You have, the, the reality for you is you have time. It's not too late for you. It is not, if you're in the room, it is not too late for you to make a decision to pursue the Lord with your whole heart. All right, let's listen. Verse three. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels and with their lamps. So it wasn't a leather bag, it was a vessel. <laughs> but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. The five foolish, they took their lamps, representing their heart. They had their lamps that probably had some oil in it, but they didn't take extra oil. They didn't bring vessels of oil. But the five wise, they took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they were sleeping. They were all unaware of the day they were living in. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Or at the 11th hour, in the last moment, a cry was heard, the bridegroom is coming. And it's an announcement for us today. Jesus is coming. Your bridegroom is coming. He's coming. It's, it will do us no good not to think about it. It will do us no good not to think about we serve a king who's coming. We need to hear it now so we're not shocked at the midnight hour. Jesus is coming. And the question, as I said before, are we mourning for his return, for the return of our bridegroom? I think part of what produces a foolish servant is an attitude of, of just pushing that to the back of our mind and not keeping that in front of us. What is he looking for? I'm glad you asked. Let's read verse six again. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Now, just pause here. Sometimes it could be like, oh, why wouldn't they share? That's so mean. But they understood this, this is not just going to hurt me. This is all going to hurt you. I don't want to not have enough for me, but I also, I don't want you to not have enough. Go and buy oil. It wasn't a selfish answer. It was selfless. But, so the, the wise said, no, lest there should be not enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And that word, not knowing, it speaks of blindness. That's why he said to watch. When he says you don't know, it's, it's speaking to a heart that cannot see. And that's why he's beseeching them to watch. The wise were watching. The foolish were blind. It implies that they could see at one point, and now they cannot because their lamps went out. Because darkness is fighting for the souls of men and women. Darkness is fighting for your soul. It wants you to be found without oil, without your lamp, being lit and bright. 
their lamps went out. They didn't take their eyes out. They, they still had eyes. It was, it was the light in their heart that was diminished. Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. When we're talking about the oil, the wise said, go and get your own, because they understood. And this is for us today. You can't get oil through the laying on of hands. You can't get oil from me. I cannot get oil from you. We have to go to the one who sells the oil. You can't get it in a fire tunnel. You can't get it in a prayer line. You can't get oil in the conference. You can't get oil from your favorite speaker. You can't get oil from your favorite book unless the book is the word of God. Don't worry, I was waiting to be asterisk and email. Well, there is a book. No, anyway. This oil is too sacred that it would go through man's hands. It's the oil of his presence. It's the very presence of the Holy Spirit. It comes from heaven. We have to buy it. And have you learned yet what's the currency? It's time. Inclining our ear. Turning to God. And you cannot get enough of this oil. It's holy oil. It's heavenly oil. It takes time. And this oil, this gold, it will last a lifetime. If you store it up, it will last a lifetime. No demon can steal it. But we ask ourselves the question of Matthew 25. What is wise? What is wisdom? Because there's many things that seem wise to people. But wisdom is get the oil, buy the oil, buy the gold, store the wine. You know, I think many people glory in what God doesn't glory in. Many people put value in things that God doesn't value. We do it in, in church. You know, the church in America at many times have gloried in things that God's not glorying in. They focused on numbers, 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 events, events, events. And none of those things are bad, but it's not the thing that God glories in. You could have a church of 5,000 or a church of 10,000, but if the presence of the Lord is there, I'm not quite sure what we're doing. And this is not a rebuke of size, and probably most of those churches that are in that size, they're in that size because they're doing something right. So it's not a rebuke on size. The point is, what is the vision of our heart? What are we building? Are we building something that the Lord is building? Because it says those who don't build with the Lord or labor with the Lord, they labor in vain. But we can take that on a personal level. How are we building our lives? What are we building our lives on? Are we, are we doing it in the place of his presence? You know, as a leadership team, as a church, you know, we don't want to produce people that are wearying themselves with Martha things. Yeah. Now, Martha wasn't all bad. She had a relationship with the Lord. But we see in, in the excerpt, it says, Martha, Martha, you, you're worried with, wearied by so many things. But Mary has chosen the good part. Mary knew that she needed what this man was carrying. She knew to sit at his feet to get oil, to get gold.
to Jesus the wise are clothed in his presence. The foolish have structure, they have the lamp, they have the mechanism, but there's no oil there. And then they cry out for fire, but there's nothing flammable to be ignited in their soul. But God is looking for an oily heart, and you don't even need a huge flame. When you have an oily heart, you just get a flicker, and it's ignited. It, it looks like getting around people that are dripping with oil. It looks like getting around people like Dan Bauman last week. I mean, you were here last week, and the, the, just as he's sharing, you could feel the passion of love and pursuit of God. I mean, it's hitting your heart. Charles Finney used to say, I preach on Sunday and spend time with God the rest of the week. I pray six days, and then on the seventh day, they come to watch me burn. So easy that way. He's looking for an oily bride. How do I get that oil? The foolish versions, they waited for the last minute. But when you give the Lord your attention and your adoration today, you get filled with oil. I think it's a matter of approaching the, the viewpoint of our heart, looking at the world and looking at the kingdom and saying, what really matters? What really matters? It's the reevaluating of our value system. We see this in Acts 1. We see a picture of value, right? Acts 1, they're approaching Jesus and they're saying, will you today establish Israel? Would you come and establish the kingdom of God in Israel? They're asking him a political question. And he's like, certainly Jesus, right? You care about my sphere of influence. You care about Israel. You care about me influencing this sphere. But he gives them an answer to a political question of, God, will you est establish the kingdom of God today? And it gives them the answer. He says, you will be endued with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That was his answer. When they're trying to figure out a strategy, a structure, are you going to come today? Are you going to take over today? Are you going to break down the kingdom of this world to establish your kingdom right now today? And he goes, yes, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to endue you with power. That's the answer to the question you're asking. You need me to come and fill you. More than you need the structure, more than you need this government to go away that you don't agree with, you need me to come and fill you. Amen. You don't need strategy right now. You need the oil of the Holy Spirit. In Song of Solomon 5.5, 5, we see a picture of the bridegroom who drips with oil, whose hands drip with myrrh, whose hands are on the latch of the door and they drip with oily myrrh. And it's just this picture that the oil of wisdom is a person, it's the Holy Spirit. We need him. You want to be wise? Fall in love with Jesus. You want wisdom? Fall in love with Jesus. He's the person of wisdom. He's wisdom personified. I, you know, at times I think of myself, you know, I don't necessarily consider myself this strong man or this super qualified man. No one, no one came to me and, and took me by the hand and led me into the secret place and said, this is how you do that or this is how you do this and this is how, you know, no one came in and said, this is how you build a ministry or this is how you build a structure or this is how you lead in church. I mean, we, we've had, I've had teachings, I've had inclinations, but the place where I learned the absolute most about the kingdom, about church, about building people was getting around people who were dripping with oil. I did read the books. I did listen to the sermons. 
But the very thing that taught me how to get to that place was by following those that I saw got to that place first. I was, you know, my wife and I, we went to school in, um, in Redding, went to Bethel in Redding, California. And I remember being there and we'd have a class coming up with Bill Johnson. And, you know, I was hungry, guys. I was the guy that would show up at 8 a.m. School started at 12. I'd show up at 8 a.m. because that's when the security got there to open the door, would run in, put my books down on the second row, and then go home, shower, get dressed, and come because I wanted, I wanted to be right there. And I remember Bill many times would come speak, and, and a lot of my friends would be in there, but a lot of people, I would watch them just be in the lobby, being busy doing maybe things that they thought were better. But not me. I'm like, I'm, number one, I paid $4,000 to be in this school. Uh, <laughs> then to each. Um, so it's eight, eight grand, right? You know, but number two, like, I was hungry. I was thirsty. This man, and not that it's about a man, but I'm looking at his life. So this man is carrying something that I want. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in the second row. I'm going to be receiving. I'm going to be learning. I was hungry. I remember class would end, and I I would have a question about something he said. I didn't understand the answer. I wouldn't just leave. I would wait the 45 minutes in line to ask him the question. I wasn't in a rush. I wanted to catch what the Lord had deposited on this man. And I, I was amazed at people who can step into a place of his presence and leave not wanting him. I didn't quite understand it. Song of Solomon 1, chapter, um, chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, we see this picture, and, and the Shulamite is approaching the beloved. He says, tell me where you feed your flock. Tell me, where do you feed your flock? I don't know. Where do you feed your flock? And he says, oh, if you don't know where I feed them, just follow the footsteps of the flock. What does that mean? I'm hungry, Lord. I want to get into the place of your presence. I want to be where there's the oil. I want to be where there's the gold. I want to be where the the wine is. But I don't know how to get there. And the Lord says, that's okay. You don't have to know how to get there. Find the people that have gone there. Follow their footsteps. See where they're eating. And then you'll see where where they're dining with me. And then you can come dine with me. You might be here and you're saying like, Rich, this is all great, but I don't know how to do it. That's fine. Get around and follow the people that know how to get there. And it won't be long before you know the way and there'll be people following you to come and feast. I remember being 15 years old, right? And I'm starting to experience the presence of the Lord and and taste of the Lord. And I remember being in worship and the banner, the dancing banner team would come up. And why did I notice them? Because I'm 15, why do I care about banners being waved in in the front of the church? But what I noticed is these ones, when they walked to the altar, Jesus came with them. What I noticed was this banner team of 40 to 60-year-olds, really, that's what it was, they were oily. They carried with them the presence of God. They had experienced something that I had only tasted of. And so do you know what I did as a 15-year-old? I joined the banner team. I was the awkward 15-year-old trying to figure out how to wave a banner in a manly way. Like, how am I going to do this? I don't know. But that, that was less important to me than me being around them. I remember time waving this banner. We had a guest worship leader, Rita Springer. She had one request, just don't wave the banner of my head. They put this 15-foot banner on PVC pipe, uh, which is 
pretty heavy for a 15-year-old who was like 103 pounds. And I said, just go wave this in the altar. And I'm embarrassed to wave it, so I just put my back to the altar, and I'm waving like this, just wave it right over her head. <laughs> Did exactly what you're not supposed to do. I mean, so many stories I could tell you. What's the, what's the takeaway? Look at Jesus. To leaders, look at Jesus. To this church, look at Jesus. You don't know how to find him? Follow and get around the ones that know where he is. Stay hungry. Stay thirsty. But when the Lord reveals areas in your heart that are lukewarm, that have grown dim, it's, yeah, it is a moment to repent and be zealous but it's a moment of celebration because your heart is about to come alive. It's, he's not shaming the virgins. He's not shaming the Laodicean church. He is counseling them. He's pastoring them. He's shepherding them in, their moment, in that moment. He says, this is, it's okay that you're here right now. It's not okay, but it's okay. But it's not okay, but it's okay. <laughs> Basically, don't stay in this place. I counsel you by gold, refined by the fire. What's the fire? It's the Holy Spirit. Minister of fire. If you're prophetic, prophesy Jesus. If you're evangelistic, think more about Jesus than the outreach. If you're pastoral, love like Jesus. Listen to me. You cannot love souls on your own. You have to do it with him. And as one of your pastors, I, I am counseling you, buy gold, buy oil, store wine, spend the time in the place of his presence, shut the door in the secret place, tarry with him in the corporate place, sit with him until an exchange takes place. Stay with him until he softens your heart. And we all come in with hard hearts, but we go out with a heart that is softened. No heart is too hard. There is nothing you have been through that will make your heart too hard for him to come and soften. Nothing. Nothing that you've done and nothing that's been done to you. Nothing. Come to him. He will soften your heart. I mean, have you ever gone into him and you left with like joy and tears? And even after those moments, Jesus is like, oh, I'm so happy you left and you... And you got filled with joy and I touched and there's tears. But would you come spend more time with me? Would you come again? Would you come again? Because he just wants to be with us. We don't serve this distant God that is waiting for us to just do. He is asking us to be. Mike Bickle says that lovers will outwork workers every time. Every time. Lovers will outwork workers every single time. You want to accomplish much in the kingdom of God, it's not work harder, it's love harder. The more you love, the greater your ability to do the work. And that work is, you fill in the blank, it's the thing he's called you to. And we get things mixed up at times. You know, my, my dream is not ministry, my dream is not life center. This is my assignment. My dream is him. 
My destiny is not 40 years in ministry building great things. My destiny is heaven. My destination is the Father. We all have the same destination. And I think we ask the question like, God, what have you called me to? What's my destiny? It's a simple answer. It's, it's him. Abraham experienced this. Abraham had a moment where he thought maybe his, desti- his destiny was to have a son. You know, he, we have the Genesis 15 moment where God shows up and you know, says, I'm going to give you a son. It's not this one. You know, I'm going to give you a son from your loins. I'm going to give you the nations. Look to the stars. Look to the sand. More numerous than the stars. More numerous of the sand will your, your sons be. Again, the rich paraphrase. Gives him Isaac and then asks him to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And in that moment where God is saying, put Isaac on the altar, Abraham would remember what the father told him in Genesis 15. He would would be right to say, but God, you gave him to me. I was destined to have a son. But in that moment, he learned, no. In Genesis 15, he also said, Abraham, I am your prize and I am your exceeding great reward. It's not Isaac. And he lays Isaac on the altar. And, I mean, he goes to strike and the Lord says, stop and we, the lamb comes. But in that moment, Abraham learned a lesson to trust that above everything else, he's my reward. And it was in that moment that, that the seed of Isaac then would give birth to the stars in the sand. Abraham had to learn the process of taking what he thought was the dream of his heart, giving it back to God, and then in his obedience, the Lord then says, okay, yes, now I can trust you, and then God gives it back to him. Do we know what it's like to take the dreams of our heart in this world and actually say, do you know what, God? You're my prize, you're my reward. I lay it down, I give it back to you, and then wait to see if he gives it back to us. If I could have the worship team come up. You know, and I'm not saying that this was easy for Abraham. But I do think I'll say it this way I think anyone can give up an addiction. I'm not saying it's easy to give up an addiction, but I am saying that it's easier to to surrender something that destroys you rather than laying down something that God gave you. And what I'm talking about today is a repositioning of our heart to not just lay down the things that we know destroy us, but to lay down everything that's even good so that he becomes the exceeding great reward and he becomes the prize of this life. He just wants a yes from our heart. He wants our whole yes so he can trust us with the work that he's given to us. He wants our yes. The bigger the yes, the more oil. The more oil, the brighter the flame. The brighter the flame, the better you can see. And don't don't miss this. Because, you know, oil... 
I mean, we, we read it before. It, it's the thing that causes the flame and the lamp. It opens your eyes to see. It opens your ears to hear. Another thing oil does, in Isaiah 21, verse 5, it says, anoint your shield. And we don't have time to get into it, but they would, in battle, they would anoint their shield with oil. The shield was made of a thick leather. And they would put oil over the shield. Why would they put oil over the shield? Because if you didn't have an oiled shield, the enemy knew that if they could come and take the, the flat end of their sword and just strike the side of the shield, the sword would break and bend and then stab the person holding the shield. But there's actually an answer to the side swiping attack of the enemy is take it's storing oil on the shield of your heart so that when he comes in, when they would come in and they would oil the shield and they would strike the shield that's oiled up, the sword wouldn't break because the shield would give way just a little bit. Not enough that they would get hurt, but enough that the sword wouldn't break. And it would actually be an extra defense mechanism that Israel would have against the enemies that would come. And in the same way, the oil is, is, is getting us intimacy, but it's also protecting us from the attack of the enemy. The wisdom of getting oil, the wisdom of getting gold, is it not just connects you to God and brings you into a place of intimacy, but it keeps you from temptation. It keeps you from the evil one because your heart is consumed and it's filled. I'm not saying you're, it's always going to be good and you're never going to have hard times, but I'm saying you are in a much better position. Does that make sense? The oil keeps you safe. The oil keeps the darkness away. And we are called to be children of the light and children of the spirit. Why don't you guys stand with me? You know, we... Probably in the last couple months, I've prayed and probably prayed it on this mic and prayed it Tuesday and Wednesday prayer sets, but been praying at Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. It's probably the most common prayer I pray out of the Bible, that the Lord would give us, would give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, that I would understand what is the height, the depth, the width, the length of the love of Christ, which passes understanding. But I also pray that he would open the eyes of my heart and the understanding. And that phrase I've been just praying over and over again for me, for you, that he would open the eyes of our understanding. And I, I'm praying that for us today. One, so that if we're in a Revelation 3 moment, he would open the eyes of our heart to see any area that is lukewarm. That has begun to wane and the flame has begun to flicker. I'm praying, God, open the eyes of my heart, the eyes of my under understanding to see. Is there any area in my life where I'm approaching it in a foolish manner? Where I've not chosen wisdom? And in that moment, when he begins to reveal things, he begins to put his finger on things, he begins to talk, he begins to show. In that moment, I get to turn to him and say, God, I repent. 
I turn to you. Touch me again. Forgive me for this foolish thinking. Lord, give me wisdom. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask, and the Father will give wisdom to you. But my prayer for us today is that we would buy oil, is that we would buy gold, is that we would store wine, that we would be a people who understand Jesus' heart for us. He loves us in the same way that the Father loves him. So therefore, abide, dwell, live in that love. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this house. Lord, I thank you for this people. Lord, we thank you that we still have time. It is not too late. <laughs> Lord, we thank you that you give us opportunity to return. Some of you, maybe you've been a, away from the Lord for a long time and you happen to be in this place today. And I believe there is an invitation from God that says, come home. Some of you, you may be in this place and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There's going to be a ministry team up here. We would love to tell you more about Jesus. And maybe there's a tugging on your heart that says, I want to make him Lord and Savior of my life. In a moment, we'll invite ones up. You can come up to and we will pray with you. But for those of us who believe in this room, there is an invitation today to cast every other care off, to cast everything else off, to say, Lord, if there is anything that hinders love in my life, come burn it away. I want to buy oil. I want to buy gold. I want to be one who is found waiting. Father, we ask for that grace today. And we're going to go into worship, but if you're here and you're like, Rich, there is a pulling on my heart. I feel like those men on the road to Emmaus. My heart is burning, and I want to grab a hold of him. I don't want him to keep going. I want him to come. I want to dine with him. And you just want someone to partner in prayer with you. As I said before, we, we can't impart the oil. We can't impart the gold. But we can pray that the Lord would give you grace. We can pray that he would remove anything, that the fire of God would come, and he would remove anything that hinders. We can pray that he would set you on a, on a path to pursue. And we would love to pray that with you. Well, let's do this first. If we can have the ministry team come up. Unless you're going to receive prayer, that's fine. But as many that can, come on up. We'll make a line. And as they're coming up, if you want prayer, you can just come right behind them. You can come to the altar. We would love to pray with you. We would love to minister to you. And just come on up and let's worship together. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.